Hello, and welcome to Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, I will invite a guest to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. Joining me today is an old friend, groomsman at my wedding, and someone I've had many long conversations with about everything from music to baseball, Michael Catawar. Michael works in scheduling and dispatch for Atlanta Clean Tech, who does industrial cleaning for new homes, which I can imagine has been pretty crazy this year. A music fanatic who enjoys many genres, and to my benefit, he has gifted me numerous albums over the years, enlightening me to various artists in metal, bluegrass, jazz, and hip-hop. Welcome, Michael, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, bud. It's good to see you. Good to talk to you. It's been a while now. It has been quite a bit. Well, yeah, you, you you left us and moved to Alabama. Yeah, I did. I did. And um, so we, we miss Georgia and we miss uh, we miss being there. There's been some good friends made and everything here and some good times had. But I mean, yeah, after, you know, a decade of uh, being there and obviously getting to know all you guys so well and everything, it's, uh, it's been kind of bittersweet. We're uh, we're still looking into what we can do to make it back that way, hopefully within a year's time, actually. Oh, that would be cool. When I started this particular project, uh, you were one of my first thoughts of who I wanted on this show because we've had many, many long conversations about anything regarding music. Yeah. So your your insight was going to be something that I, I wanted to get recorded and get out to the masses. So, Michael, let's jump right into this. What is your favorite album and how did you discover it? Well, knowing the conversations you and I have had and, and you, as you said, knowing how uh, adamant I am about my music and everything, it kind of put me in a pickle trying to decide that one album from that time of life and everything, you know, to, to narrow down, I spent a solid six, eight hours collectively just sitting up at night trying to pick one. And I just, uh, I ended up going with Metallica. I chose uh, ride the lightning. kind of went against the grain of the usual master of puppets. And, uh, I mean, my reasoning for that was simply that, uh, ride the lightning came to me first before master of puppets, you know, the album came out in 84 and, uh, I wasn't even born until 85. Uh, you know, I, I didn't hear it for the first time until, uh, I'd say probably six or seven. So, you know, 92, 93, somewhere around there. It just kind of stuck to me, man. You know, it was just, uh, the first thing I'd ever really heard, like that uh you know my older brother chris eight years older than me is where i got a lot of my musical taste from and where i got introduced to a lot of things but chris being eight years older than me was um a little more into the the punk scene and everything at the time you know circle jerks fugazi bad brains those guys um from that era stuff like metallica just wasn't really quite his bag and i don't remember how i heard it first um, you know, probably just on the radio or something. We had a local rock station back home in Beaumont that, that played some pretty good music. And um, that's probably where I came across it, just hearing something on there for the first time. And then, I mean, man, that was, you know, that was around the time that Napster and stuff was was big. And it, it, it took nothing to be able to look up a band name and, and find some music 
be able to listen to admittedly uh, before all the streaming services and all that stuff. So I, I don't know if you're allowed to say Metallica and Napster uh, on the same program. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll have so to tiptoe around that one there. <laughs> <laughs> Napster bad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you heard, you heard ride the lightning before the black album. Then. Yes. Yeah. I definitely heard ride the lightning before the black album. Um, and you know, for that matter, like, I didn't really even get into ride the lightning until probably a couple of years later. When, when did load come out? I don't remember exactly when that came out. It was like 97, 98. Okay. So maybe that I got, I got that CD for either Christmas or my birthday, like the year it came out. And I asked for it strictly on, uh, you know, the, the premise of, of hearing one or two songs on the radio. And I just knew that I liked it. And so I don't know that I maybe even so much asked for that album. I just asked for a Metallica album. And that's what my parents ended up getting me was the most recent one, you know, that had come out. And so of course I listened to that and I'm just thinking like, this isn't quite, <laughs> this isn't quite what I had in mind. Like this doesn't sound like the rest of the stuff. And I think maybe that's just what kind of, you know, I, I had a computer already and everything. My dad was already, my dad had always been into computers and building them and stuff. And so I had access to the internet and stuff like that and um, started looking things up and trying to read about them. And I mean, I've still got a whole box full of cassette tapes that I recorded off the local radio station back home. And, you know, so I mean, just, I don't know, it was just music. Music wasn't a thing. And hearing thrash metal for the first time in my life, like six years old and, was just really into it, you know, and like having a four-year-old now and playing music for him and watching how he gets excited about stuff. Oh, that's great. You know, I look back on it. Well, sure. Of course I was into that. It was mind blowing at the time. Like, so with me, my first exposure to Metallica was the black albums, you know, that, that came out right there with, uh, I can't remember what year exactly early nineties. Uh, but that was where, you know, they were MTV heavy with unforgiven Enter Sandman. And then, and then I heard, a little bit of Justice for all a, a little bit. You know, I wasn't really staying up for headbangers ball or anything on, on MTV. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't, that stuff really was, wasn't in my rotation at the time. But then later on in the army, Metallica was pretty, pretty big in the barracks. And, you know, you go in and out of different rooms and you're like, Hey, what's that? Oh, it's Metallica. No, that's not any Metallica I've heard. And what's, what is this? And then, then you started to discover all oh, that. That's old Metallica. This is from the mid eighties. Like, Oh, I didn't know they were that old. And then, and then you get into, you know, the first time you hear fade to black and it's just, wow, that's, that's not load. That's not reload. This is something completely different. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that was, you know, even from, even from, uh, kill them all to, uh, you know, ride the lightning to master puppets and justice for all and everything like that while those other three are pretty similar. I mean, kill the lightning or kill the lightning, kill them all was obviously, you know, a little more raw and down and dirty and just straight forward. There wasn't all the, all the acoustic guitar work and, and I feel like more in depth writing and everything involved. I mean, they, they definitely did some quick maturation and, and evolution, you know, there as a band, um, I mean, hell, they were, they were teen whenever they were first writing and recording, you know, so like they were young dude 
Yeah, it, you can tell a huge difference between Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning. There's there's a gigantic yeah. leap in in maturity and, and songwriting. Absolutely, there's, yeah. there's actual melodies. Like you said, Kill 'Em All is is you know just a handful of tracks of thrash metal. Yep. Nothing, nothing wrong with that, but that was their beginning. But yeah, Ride the Lightning, you know, standout tracks, uh, and but still a an album that you can listen to all the way through. Yeah, and I mean, that was kind of one of the things that, you know, I had for it. Uh, you know, you had me do this, and I was sitting down listening to it track by track and kind of making notes and all, and which is not something I've done in a while. You know, it's not like it's been forever since I've listened to this album, but it's been forever since I've sat and listened to this album. Yeah, yeah. I've just kind of forgotten, I guess, how much parts of it meant to how much particular songs did kind of stand with i mean you know the opening track fight fire with fire it's it starts off with the acoustics and everything and it's all nice and pretty and then just kind of all of a sudden wham So these guys haven't forgotten how to thrash. Great, you know. <laughs> it's really a great misdirect. Yeah. yeah a great classical intro, the acoustics, and then there's like a wave of rock that just sweeps over. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of pommels you right in the face all of a sudden. And uh, you know, then your brains are beat out and, and here you go. You're you're on for the ride. And you know, so again, when I finally got this album, when I had this finally got the CD, you know, I had loads. And that's the first time that I've been able to just sit and listen to a Metallica album start to finish. Look, but then I got this. And so the difference there immediately in the writing and the sound, you know, load, load everything, everything from this point forward, from Ride the Lightning Forward has always had some of those, uh, those ups and downs like that. I mean, they're, they're instrumental tracks that they started tacking on in the album. Uh, I mean, that that's down here in the, the notes and everything on my list later. That's one of the things that I love the most about it was the instrumental track and what they started doing with those. I think Call of Cthulhu is my favorite track on this album. It is a fantastic song. I mean, it's the kind of thing, like, these guys, you know, ended up playing an album with the symphony behind it because some of their songs could allude to that, you know? It's something that they wrote that they were capable of kind of adding on to. I'm not the biggest fan of Metallica S&M, but that Call of Cthulhu, where they start off, is fantastic. Nine minutes of just... I, I watched it today on YouTube. Just, I wanted to see it again. Yeah. It was kind of neat, though. I, I watched that, and that was kind of them in their prime. Well, that's an opinion as far as, you know, when they're in their prime, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but I actually watched three Metallica videos today and it was that one. And then a version of fade to black from 2018, uh, okay. in Lincoln, Nebraska, which was an excellent version, but it showed their age from, cause, uh, S and M was probably 99, 2000, somewhere in there. That sounds about right. Yeah. 2018, you know, 18 years later. And then a live version of For Whom the Bell Tolls with Cliff Burton. Oh. So back from 85. And just, yeah. number one, their ages. You can, go, watching that one from 85 last, you're right. They were kids. Yeah. 
absolute kids on stage and just, just rocking. They were, they were having a blast. Seeing James and Lars like with the long hair, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, just because now for so long, like uh, it seems like all that we know him as is these old dudes. That, yeah. They've got tattoos, whatever, but like they, they freaking rock. But then you, yeah, you go back you look at him go, not a tattoo one on them. No facial hair, long curly locks. I mean, they, they look like a hair metal band, you know, but the beauty is they didn't sound like one. No, they did. They did. Thankfully. Thankfully. No, I mean, single-handedly, without a doubt, one of the most important rock and roll bands of all time. And I don't think there's anybody that would ever, you know, say otherwise. Their string of albums in the 90s, 80s and 90s, though, from, from Ride the Lightning, Puppets, and Justice for All, and the Black Album, those four were just, I mean, you talk, when I say prime, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Those guys were just in, in full stride, oh, sure. could, could do no wrong for those four albums. Yeah, and man, I, you know, I know how much grief the Black Album gets and everything oftentimes. I mean, I think that as a whole, it's almost become a joke more so than reality of what people really think about it. But Black Album was a good album. It was. I agree. It's it's still one of my favorite Metallica albums. And yeah. after that, you know, they definitely kind of, you know, made some artistic decisions that not everyone agrees with. Uh, I love the Garage album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was that Garage Inc? Garage Days, yeah, Garage Days, yeah. yeah. That, that was a, a fun album with Die Die My Darling and Stone yeah, Cold Crazy the and, stuff. and stuff. Were cool, yeah. yeah. But they never really recaptured what they had in the '80s and '90s. No, man, because then you know you, you mentioned some of the other bands. Like you know, uh, I'll, I always knew that Dave Mustaine had tried out for Metallica, or that they you know they wanted him to, or, or whatever. However, the story truly goes, I'm not totally clear on that but you know dave went on to make megadeth and while megadeth may not be i don't know as like it's tough for me to say this because i mean megadeth is huge megadeth is a huge band all around the world are they metallica status i mean no they don't have the commercial success that metallica has but when you talk about like the big thrash metal bands of that era, I mean, Slayer, Anthrax, Metallica, Megadeth, they're all said within the same vein, you know? And um, Dave did a lot of writing for Metallica and <clears throat> he's got some credits on this album. Yeah. That's, that's something that I made note of. You know, I didn't realize that he was actually still credited with some of the writing for Ride Light. It's not surprising to me, you know, going back and listening to it after reading that, I thought, wow, that really does maybe kind of sound like some Dave Sane in there. You know, knowing Megadeth like I do, I can hear his guitar work. And stuff, stuff. Dave Mustaine's an amazing guitar, absolutely amazing guitar. I don't care for Megadeth the way that I do Metallica. I still like him, but uh, I mean, that, that dude's an incredible guitar. One thing that I kind of discovered with revisiting this <clears throat> album was the, was Cliff Burton. Uh, yeah. I, I knew I knew that he was a big part of the band in the early days before his untimely you know, death, mm-hmm. right after right after Master of Puppets, I think. And yeah, I, I just I knew he was a good bassist. I didn't really know his skill level. I didn't really know. I, I couldn't point out that's that's Cliff on on bass or anything. Sure. Uh, but in, in the reading and everything, uh, apparently he was a huge influence in the maturity of this album, going from Kill 'Em All to to ride the lightning, getting those melodies in there, getting the, the actual rhythmic bass 
mixed in with the, the dual guitars. Yeah. If that, that was actually all Cliff teaching them how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he taught them theory and everything. Yeah. I mean, he, these guys didn't know music theory and how to implement it. I mean, yeah. Cliff Burton taught these guys how to be musicians, basically, how to be better musicians. And I also didn't know that at the beginning of For Whom the Bell Tolls, that's all him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, all that. Uh, dun, 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 dun. That's I, I always thought that was guitar. Rather than just bass guitar, I didn't I didn't realize what he was doing there. Okay, the yeah. wah wah pedal and everything that was that that was pretty cool, and it's actually pretty cool to see in that YouTube video. I, I recommend you seek that out. <laughs> yeah, I probably should, man. That's admittedly something that um <clears throat> you know because like when I when I was so big into um, Metallica and everything, there weren't there wasn't YouTube. That's true. That's very true. You weren't so freely available to find stuff like that, and um. You know, I just, I don't listen to Metallica the way, I don't listen to metal the way that I used to. Um, I actually put one of my metal, uh, like, uh, album stations up on Pandora earlier today for the first time in ages. It was down at the bottom of my station list. <laughs> yeah, this is a rocking track. I forgot about this. Like, I just don't listen to metal much anymore. Uh, that was something else that was kind of cool going back to this. It, it had me kind of going back to some my roots. I mean, I, I was considering... Pantera, you know, for, for vulgar display of power. I really wanted to talk about that. I mean, again, you talk about the first time as a young kid. Yeah. The power behind those vocals and that drum work. And I mean, Dimebag's guitar work. Like, there was just nothing else in the world like it, man. Nothing else like it. Yeah, I was in high school when I first heard Vulgar for the first time all the way through. And it was, you don't really know what to do with that power coming out of those speakers it's like right. you know am i am i supposed to bob my head am i supposed to punch somebody what am i supposed to do right. i like it but i'm not sure how to react yeah do i throw this bookshelf on the floor <laughs> like what? yeah i mean it, it, it was definitely something different i mean i was in middle school i'll not forget i was in middle school at my buddy byron's house when i first uh byron o'quinn when i first heard that and it was uh, Daniel Splinter. He was about two years older than us, and he lived a couple of blocks away. And uh, he had come by with the album, and we listened to it that night, hanging out in the backyard, playing basketball, whatever, you know, and he put it on. And, and I just I just remember my eyes being like, you know, the, the dinner plates, just, what is this? <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, even after liking Metallica, everything, it was still, that was a step beyond Metallica's level of heavy, you know. Well, the the bands you mentioned, like say Anthrax and and Pantera mm-hmm. and stuff, they they never really had their black album that went me- mega popular. I hate to say the word mainstream, but the black album had several ballads on there that got a lot of MTV play playtime. Nothing else matters and Unforgiven and right. and that and that would change you know any evolution of any band. But say An- Anthrax, all I could tell you is Scott Ian with the beard. I couldn't tell you a song. Pantera, yeah. I can tell you several songs at least, but you know, all those other bands, uh, you know, Slayer and stuff, you know, Angel of Death or something. I mean, yeah, Angel of Death is, is a good yeah. one to yeah. mention. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the first first and only one yeah. that comes to mind. Uh, I, I don't have the in-depth metal knowledge. That's that's like it, but like Metallica, because of the Black Album, 
I was able to kind of discover in reverse, you know, sure. several amazing albums. I'll thank MTV for that. I'll give them credit. Yeah, no, they were good for something at one point in time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You had Beavis and Butthead and, 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 Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that Aeon Flux and stuff like that? They play late night. Didn't, uh, Beavis have a Metallica shirt? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah he did. Yeah. Yeah. And ACD or was it AC? A, Butthead was well, ACDC. One had ACDC. One had the Metallica. Yeah. 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 Uh, crash talking about Beavis and Because that is the first time I saw the video for one. Was Beavis oh, and Butthead? Yes, I remember that episode. Yeah, where, where Beavis was kind of going on this. This sucks. Why are we? Why we watched it? And Butthead kept saying, "Wait for mm-hmm. it." And then Beavis goes nuts after the midpoint. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And see, I probably could have chosen and Justice for All. Honestly, I, I love that album too. If it weren't for the recording of it, which is something you hear so much, just the complete and utter lack of cliff. There's no bass, no bottom end to it. You know, if that album had been recorded differently, I believe that, well, I mean, I still think it's in their top three, those three albums, Ride the Lightning, Andrew Straw, and, and, you know, Master Puppet. But there's some particular songs on Injustice for All that I think the writing was maybe better for some of the songs on that album than they were on the other two, just lyrical content and composition of the song. The recording sucked, which is what was such a downer about it, you know? But um, I don't know, like it, it was really hard not to just pick the trifecta, just say, you know what, we're gonna, I'm gonna talk about all three of them, which is what we've done already, so. Someone may come on later and still pick puppets or or any, or, sure. or, or re-talk about Ride the Lightning in there. I'm not, yeah. not keeping anybody from it but the actual album ride the lightning is, is a great listen from front to back more, more so the front. And then I don't know, there, there are a couple tracks, uh, like escape and, uh, trapped under ice are, are two that they're not bad songs. They, they just, to me, don't quite live up to, you know, bells and, and fade to black and, and Cthulhu. Well, creeping deaths in there though. So yeah. yeah. Creeping death is like, that's where, that's where I made my, my kind of big bold note. Cause for me, ride the light. So ride the lightning, the title track, uh, this is something else I didn't know until I started kind of digging in and doing a little research for this that, um, apparently did you know that it was named off of a line from the stand by Stephen King? That makes sense. It, it's a line that's spoken at some point or whatever. And, and they decided, to, I forget who it was. It was like, Oh, well that, you know, that sounds kind of cool. Let's use that, whatever. But yeah, that's what it came from. That's the title of the album and the title of that track. It was uh, from the stand. That makes perfect sense. I mean, as far as uh, Stephen King and uh, the electric chair, right. he's, he's got a thing with the electric chairs. Honestly, for whom the bell tolls, I know that it would be considered like the single off the album, pretty much or whatever. You know, the the, the big hit that's heard and all. Spotify had it with the most plays as well. You yeah, know, that, like yeah. by, by like by like twenty thousand, thirty thousand plays or something. Like, yeah, it, it got played infinitely more than any other track. But it may. I don't want to say my least favorite track on the album, but it might would be close. I really just don't, it just doesn't do that much for 
I've seen a lot of soldier and army compilation videos to that one. Yeah. Okay. With whoever making it, not understanding the irony of the actual lyrics and purpose of the song, which is kind right. of a protest against the horrors of modern warfare. Yeah. Yeah. Do you not really grasp even like what the title of the song, what that phrase like means? Yeah, <laughs> someone who's never read the book, apparently. Uh huh. I mean, I think that Fade to Black, the song after it, it just has more depth and everything to it. I agree. I, I mean, well, well Food of the Bell Tolls is, is, a good, is a good track, whereas Fade to Black is, it's an epic rock ballad, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. It, it is. I mean, just the way it starts, it, I mean, it, it tells a story, it feels. It, well, it does tell yeah. a story. It's about a guy contemplating suicide, and then eventually, at the end, he, he does kill himself. Uh, it's deep. You know, lyrically and sonically, I mean, just that that song is what bro, you know stuck me to this album. I know Call of Two is good, but Fade to Black with that beginning. And then that midpoint where it turns. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it also, like, I, I feel like it's one of the ones on the album, I maybe off the top of my head couldn't pick out the others, but where James, like, really clean vocals from him. He's not growling. Yeah, he's not growling stuff. He has his voice and he does it very well. And something I've always liked for him. And, I, you know, I can say this about a number of other metal artists or whatever, metal vocalists in particular, but like when they don't sound like they're having to try so hard to get their sound, he just does it and it sounds like him and it sounds good. Philip Anselmo, Pantera. I've never in my life heard somebody that has like the octave range can scream you into the ground and then turn around and sing you a pretty little ballad afterwards and, and, you know, hit the highs and the low, like, and the ability to do it all without effort, you know? Who's that guy from uh Slipknot? Corey Taylor. Corey Taylor. Yeah. He, he's one of those. That, that's what you yeah. were just describing. That reminds me of, cause, uh, cause he had that, that side gig with um, Stone Sour, I think they were called. Yeah. Yeah, where it's like someone, t- I mean, that's beautiful tracks, you know, very clear yeah. vocals, like you said. And then someone tells you, you know, hey, that's that's the dude from Slipknot, the guys with right. all the mass and the thrash metal. Like, no. Yeah, I mean, while I'm not a big fan, I can appreciate, like, yeah, his ability and what he's able to do there. Like, it, it's, it's impressive. It's really impressive to be able to hear that amount and power of voice come out of somebody and it just seems so effortless. Now, I know that. I'm sure it's work. They're trained to do it. It's not something you just wake up doing one day. It takes it takes lots of effort and practice. But I mean, yeah, if I tried screaming like Bill does in Pantera, if I tried doing that, I'd probably throw up. 
without, without having the knowledge and experience that I do whatever with recording and any of that, it does also kind of make me wonder how much of that has to do with the recording quality as well. You know, the booth they were in, the mic used, the just whatever. I know that doesn't change somebody's voice, but like, I don't believe that James was using any kind of voice modulation on the black album, you know, to change his voice, but just the recording itself makes me just kind of wonder how much of it was his voice changing and how much of it was just, it was a newer age. It was some newer equipment. Maybe they had better payroll to use whatever for the recording. Like I can only assume that makes a huge difference regarding, uh, you know, time in the studio as well. I mean, cause sure. w- when you're first starting out, I mean, when they made this, I don't even think they were fully signed yet to a major label. It was, it was on Electra still. Was, wasn't it? was it on Electra? I know they I were eventually so. signed for Electra, but I know kill them all. Wasn't, Okay. No, yeah, no, kill them all. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. so when the, uh, you know, once you get that money and you get more time to say, okay, that was good. Let's do it again, but do better. Sure. And see, I hadn't even considered it like that. Yeah. I wouldn't even think of that. I was just thinking hardware even, you know, and, basically. The, and then a producer makes a big difference. I have no idea who produced these albums, if they have a go-to producer, but I, I it's something that I'm discovering more and more doing these shows is that, the, the producer in the booth makes a huge difference as far as yeah. someone, someone that the band trusts and someone that can, they can, that gets to know their voice. Yeah. Uh, lyrically though, one thing I like about this album is that each song, I mean, the overall concept I got, you'd say is death. I mean, just, that's kind of a, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> ride, ride the lightning. So. Yes. Yeah. But, but each individual song tells at least its own individual story or has, it's not really, uh, it's not a message album by any means. But, you know, you're looking at Ride the Lightning. It's a guy that's being wrongfully put to death in the electric chair. For whom the bell tolls, horrors is a modern warfare. Fade to Black is about suicide. Trapped under ice. You got a guy who's cryogenically frozen and they wake up and they cannot get out. Yeah. <laughs> James was, I don't know what James was doing writing the lyrics, but he was definitely putting some stuff out there. I felt, I felt like almost maybe he was doing some, some like a lot of, fiction science fiction reading or something maybe you know like uh, i mean who was reading stephen king to just even get you know get that line from stephen king yeah one of them was there was a conversation between them to name the, the album that and subsequently the song maybe the song came first whatever but somebody was doing some reading so yeah like what were they reading how much of this came from just sitting around and being dorks and reading books you know well then uh creeping death is about the uh the passover yeah yeah i mean i I did read though that no one was reading the bible at the time they were actually watching the ten commandments yeah (laughs) yeah i I don't see i mean i don't know anything about them personally but yeah i don't really see it i'm sitting around uh i never noticed that and then i listened to it while reading the lyrics and Mm -hmm. I'll, i'll be damned they're they're very specific. They're going right down down the whole mm-hmm. story. Yeah, had no that, idea. That is that is one of my probably top two favorites on the album. Between Creeping Death and then Call of Cthulhu after it, like on Master of Puppet, they kind of did it the other way around, where the instrumental was second to last, believe Orion. Yeah, and then after that comes Damage Incorporated to just really like that's the final send off super thrash beat your brains out of your head song on ride the lightning creeping death 
is followed by the calmer nine minute long Call of Cthulhu to close out the album. And I kind of like, I'm kind of torn as to which way I think is better. You know, I mean, uh, Call of Cthulhu is great. Love it and everything. But I feel like it's maybe a little bit of a calm send off and it might should have been put earlier in the album. And then something like Creeping Death, like you're saying the subject matter, everything being death, this and that. I feel like this one is just probably the most in your face death. Like it's just this, that, the other slave born to serve. Like everything's just really, it's just it's not heavy in the sound. Heavy is in the content. Yeah. I don't know. Like if it were me, I would be wanting to walk off a stage from that and not call it a dude. You know, I feel like that one could have been a little earlier on. I feel like they did it more right with Master of Puppets closing out with Damage of Corporate. I can really go either way because for me, you call it Cthulhu versus Orion. I mean, that's almost like Kirk versus Picard there, you know, <laughs> and cause, cause I've always loved Orion. I actually heard Orion first, but then Metallica S and M came out in that amazing version of call Cthulhu, which I would, I prefer over the ride, the lightning version. I don't know. There's just something about that version. They, they did everything right there, but Orion, uh, that's really a hard call. You know, which album ends better. I I would I think that Ride the Lightning ends better, whereas Puppets starts better. Okay, I could I could get on board with that. Sure. Was it Battery that starts off? Yeah, B- Battery's a, yeah. A, a wonderful song, and then that leads right into Puppets. So right. it's just it, it's it's a it's a one two punch right there from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, which I, I love tracks one and two of, of this album. They, they're they're great, uh, but the, it really kicks into gear for me with three and four with with Bells and Fade to Black. That's, that's okay. the uh, that that those two together for me are, are are the meat and potatoes of this whole album, and they're they're just they're yeah. awesome. And then it, say, it does end well though. With then, so you got the meat and potatoes in the middle, and then at the end. And I'm sorry for Trapped Under Ice and Escape. They're just kind of there. They are. There is a little bit of filler on this album, and I again I kind of made note of that myself too. That as much as I love it and I have picked it, I I, was, I still wouldn't skip them. Still don't skip them. I still listen to them. They're still good. Like they are a little bit of filler. Um, I mean, Trapped Under Ice. I do like Trapped Under Ice, but yeah, there's a couple of tracks on there that, that if they had basically, I don't know, if I could go back or if they re-released it and they were like, here's some B-sides and we thought about putting these in there. If one of those was good, I'd probably go, okay, you should have put that one. That should have been the one you put in. I'd be, I'd be curious to hear if there's any B-sides on this. I mean, you know, they're 45 minutes and it's only what, like eight tracks? Or eight, so, tracks. eight or nine nine tracks okay yeah eight i don't know i'd be hard pressed to imagine that, that there probably was i mean they had room and time for another especially like with a nine minute epic at the end of the album they've, they've got room for another song so maybe they just weren't any good and in fade to black is uh not short either what was that let me no, see not. the fade to fade to black is just under seven and then yeah cthulhu is just under nine but Ride the Lightning is 640 itself. See, maybe I didn't I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that that was that long. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, but again, yeah, when you've got a 45-minute album that's only got nine, eight tracks on it, like, I mean, yeah, they're all gonna be, you know, five minutes plus each, basically, average. So you know, there's like there's grandparents that know who Metallica is. Like uh, there's Babies who know Metallica is. There's every country in the world knows who Metallica is. They're just it's it's a household name. There's just no two ways about it. Everyone has seen their logo. 
Metallica. You put logos up everywhere, whether they can read the words or not. You look at that logo and it's recognizable. Everybody's seen it before. They know what it is. This is true. I don't know. Not everybody recognizes like, uh, I mean, everybody recognizes the, the Van Halen BH. Everybody recognizes the Rolling Stones tongue. Like it's become iconic for a reason, I guess. Have you uh, had the chance to see them live? Metallica? No, I have not. Really? Nope. Never have. Most of the bands that I've, you know, I've been to a, a load of live shows, man. I've been to lots and lots of live shows, but most of them that I've been to, I've really not been to too many big bands. I mean, the biggest, you know, aside, aside from like a, a festival type thing or something, um, you know, I mean, I've seen Iron Maiden, seen Motorhead, seen Alice Cooper. Those are some of the biggest things. I've got a picture of me, AJ, and Tattoo hanging out with Slayer and take pictures with them and take a, take a shot of Jaeger with them. <laughs> nice. And that's only because Amy was working at Gwinnett Arena at the time. She got us upstairs in the VIP lounge with them. So, I mean, at that show, that was, oh, who else playing that night? That was Slayer. And God, was that actually Slayer, Anthrax, and Megadeth all together in the same night, I think? Damn. Yeah, I really think it was. It was at least, it was at least Anthrax and Slayer that night. I'd have to ask Nick about that. He would remember. But yeah, I mean, those, you know, I say only like, hell, that's those, those are some really big names that I've been fortunate enough to see, but the Iron Maiden, the Motorhead, those were at an outdoor festival thing. Uh, they're in Alpharetta. I got to see Metallica when I was 18, right before I left for the army, uh, up in oh. Illinois. And so what, uh, year was, what, what year was that? This was 98. 98. Okay. I wasn't a bad year for Metallica. It was, it was right after load reload came out and they came out yeah. and they said, well, sorry for fans of load reload where we feel like playing old stuff oh. and everybody, everybody goes nuts. And the show was fantastic. Days of the new and Jerry Cantrell opened for them. So it was, it was a great show. Jerry Cantrell solo. Yes. Yes. You know, he just put out a new solo album. Did he? Not I haven't gotten to listen to it yet, but yeah, he just released it. Yeah. But then I, I saw them about a year and a half later when I was at my permanent duty station in Hawaii and they sucked. It was, uh, it, it was, it was absolute horseshit. It was one of those situations where a lot of bands would go to Hawaii and they would kind of just do a half-assed job to pay for their vacation more or less. <laughs> uh, Tool was the same way. Tool was a abysmal show. It was horrible. And, and I love Tool. But their show on Hawaii was 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 bad. I was it, it kind of gave me a, a left Metallica with me on a sour note. But then years later, I saw them at Bonnaroo and played a fantastic set. Okay. So they redeemed themselves for me, you know, again at Bonnaroo. So that was so I, I have technically seen them three times. Right on. Okay. See, Tool. That's another one of those that um that I would have loved to have gone seen. I had a group of friends of mine that were going to see them back home in Beaumont. I ended up having to work like a like 26 hour shift or something for this, this big print job that we were doing. And I, while I would have liked to have gone through tickets for like 60 bucks or something also. And I just was not in the place to be spending 60 bucks on a tool ticket and be missing out on all the overtime that I was going to get for that. <laughs> Fair enough. I didn't need to fill it. Um, and I'd also like heard so much stuff at that time about, Mannered and how weird he was at shows, like standing behind a curtain, just or never facing the crowd or whatever. I'm just... He literally turned and played PlayStation for 20 minutes 
during like a very slow bass solo. That was it. Yeah, no. He, he just he turned. He, he sat down. He played PlayStation while, I mean, not even like a good bass solo. It was you know, doom, 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 doom. and it was at the uh campus which had no alcohol so people were just bored out of their minds wow it was that was really bad and see like i like i like the earlier tool i can't stand anything that they've done this was after lateralis 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 sort of yeah no i don't even like lateralis like i i don't like that album i don't like anything they've done since Anima or Anima or whatever the hell it is. And I wouldn't mind if someone brought uh, Undertow. Undertow and Opiate were awesome albums. But, like, since then, all puns intended, he's a tool bag. And I don't like that <laughs> band. I, I, don't, I don't like anything. Every album sounds the same. Every album sounds the same. And it doesn't sound good same. <laughs> it just... <laughs> I don't know. He needs to keep making wine and whatever it is he's doing these days. The only really good concert I saw out in Hawaii was called uh, the great Hawaiian smoke out. It was, it was sponsored by dare and it was headline. So anti-drug concert. It was, it was headlined by uh, Cypress Hill and Pennywise. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was pretty fantastic. Sponsored by dare. (laughs) I would like to see Cypress Hill. I could get on board with that. They had a great cover of war pigs. Really? Yeah, it was really good. I've heard a lot of War Pigs covers, but I've never heard Cypress Hill cover. Interesting. I've been to some good hip hop shows too, man. Like that, you know, again, you, you asked me about like a short list and then some other potentials. Ride the Lightning made your top spot. What's what's on your short list? Again, trying to keep my mind narrowed down to that that day and age, that that time of my life or whatever, you know, earlier on and not anything recent. I had I was also trying to just kind of consider things in a different direction, not considering another metal album. Like, because as you said, and as you know about me, my taste is pretty varied. I like a little bit of everything. And so I tried to kind of swing a different direction. Like I mentioned, my brother and his uh, interest in the punk rock and everything at the time, Fugazi is on that list. Uh, 13 songs came out in 1989. 13 songs is kind of it's kind of a compilation if i remember right it's, it's from like their two or three eps they had put out previously so it's not a best of it's it's not anything new either it's, it's just you know some some shorter shorter albums all kind of mashed together to make 13 songs yeah ian mckay the lead singer and, and most of the writing and everything for that he's he's probably hands down one of the most important guys of the punk era in the late 80s my brother is like said, you know, who got me into them and Mulder brother played bass and subsequently I played bass or I tried to, Chris was always far more better bassist than myself. But one of the things that really drew me to them was how involved in the songs and everything the bassist was, and especially for, for punk music. Like it's, it's almost, it's almost like they had a funk bassist playing punk for them. Hmm. And then you've got, a band like Red Hot Chili Peppers, who back then, in that time, mid to late 80s, early 90s, whatever, before they played the garbage that they play now and have for the past 10 years. <laughs> Dude, stuff like Mother's Milk and Blood Sugar Sex Magic and all. I mean, again, you talk about funk bassists playing punk type stuff, whatever. Like, I mean, it was just that weird mix. 
there was a lot of that going on then. I mean, that's when like the rap rock stuff started suicidal tendencies, uh, you know, playing and everything like those guys. That's a Robert Trujillo who is now playing bass for Metallica. Uh, he was in suicidal tendencies. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I had to look it up because you, you caught me coming out a limb there and I was going to make an ask myself. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Fugazi, 13 songs. That one was really important. And then um, my brother also got me into some hip hop, early hip hop. I mean, you know, man, Tribe Called Quest, of course, uh, Jurassic Five. Jurassic Five is still one of my favorite hip hop groups, man. It, it, there was something about a group of MCs getting together and each one of them having their parts not quite like a harmony, you know, with, with a number of singers singing harmony together. But when you could get two, three, four guys that can all uh, have their parts of the song with their lyrics and their rhymes and their own cadence and their own sound, and it all works together. And then you throw in like a jazz loop beat in the background. I'm hooked. That's my kind of hip hop. I love hearing the jazz beat and stuff like that mixed in, especially kind of later in playing trumpet in middle school and everything, getting into jazz and being able to sometimes recognize some of the stuff these guys were cutting into their songs. Um, That's cool. Yeah, you know, being able to pick up on some of that, it was great. Great. So, yeah, Fugazi, 13 songs, and uh, it was a Jurassic 5 concrete schoolyard. But, yeah, those two probably would be the, the honorable mentions of that era. Those would be two albums that I have not listened to. Yeah? Yeah, I'd have to check those out. I almost chose 13 songs over, over Metallica. I almost did. Yeah, we could always have you back on and talk that one. Dude, and that's, you know, that's like I told you, especially here the last, uh, the last couple of years, working from home now and everything, too. I've, I've come across so many new artists. <laughs> that I've had time to just like while I'm working to sit down and look up new stuff and listen to I mean uh, I'm sure you've heard Tyler Childers and the stuff he's he's been putting out I mean that mm-hmm. guy is amazing Laney and I got to go see him amazing singer songwriter and then uh, Idols is one of my new favorite bands uh, European group combination of like Irishmen and, and uh, Englishmen they actually just played on Jimmy Kimmel, I think, like last night. They got a new album coming out next week. They're incredible. I absolutely love them. I found them and I put the two albums they had out at the time on repeat for like three weeks straight, probably. My wife got sick of it hearing them all the time. <laughs> there's lots of good stuff out there. There's still there's still good music being made. That, that's uh, good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I'm discovering lots of, of old stuff with this particular project, but I am definitely glad that there's also good new stuff coming out. By all means, we'll have you back on and talk with some of those albums as well. Sounds like a plan, man. We'll have to pick a, 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 a some other kind of theme maybe so I can narrow it down again. Well, let's say it's, it's not specifically, you know, an album that changed your mind. It's just more of a, what's your favorite album that, that you want to talk about? That, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's really uh, what it what is. This time though, I've got to, I've got to give myself, some limitation, you know, is really what it's about. I got to give myself some limitations. Otherwise I'll obsess over it and find 30 different albums to talk about. Let's see if I, if I were maybe just picking one, say like from each genre or whatever, if I, if I just did something like that for myself then that would allow me some, uh, some focus. That would be up to you. Okay. We'll talk, we'll talk about it further uh, off air. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Michael, before we wrap this up, uh, please tell our listeners uh, what you're working on or if they can find anywhere or anything you'd like to pitch. 
Steve, all I'm really working on these days is um, keeping those two little boys out of as much trouble as I can. That's about it. Dad life and working hard. That's it. I mean, company Atlanta clean tech, you know, if you, if, if you're building a new home for yourself or if you uh, happen to be a home builder and you're in that market, you can, uh, you can find us online at uh, AtlantaCleanTech.com and we can give you a help out with a lot of your uh, subcontractor needs and cleaning and pressure washing in the Atlanta area. We're currently trying to expand a bit into Huntsville, Alabama, where we've got some work and also down in Destin, Florida area. Uh, other than that, man, that's, uh, that's it. Just work and uh, lots of play with a four-year-old and two-year-old. Excellent. Well, Michael, I'd like to thank you for your time today. It, it was a pleasure to sit and talk to you about Metallica's Ride the Lightning. Yeah, man. Thank you much. It's good to see you. Good to talk to you. We'll have to do it again sooner and later. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Music Rewind, a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. As I always say, listen to the full album. Until next time. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.